0: mystery at all but I want to begin at the third chapter and the 14th verse anytime you mention revelations why people get a creepy feeling because there's eerie things that goes on in here and probably one of the most controversial books that there is in the Bible Uh, I don't know that I've heard any more controversy about any book than the book of revelations almost from the onset on the chapter, first chapter to the one that goes at ends it to the last amen, there seems to be very little agreement <laughs> with anybody concerning that. But I think perhaps in the presentation uh, tonight that perhaps we can find an agreement at what is happening in our world and where we're living. Fourteenth verse beginning at that it says, and says unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mightest be rich, or mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye-save that thou mightest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door knock any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If I had a title tonight for the Bible study, it would simply be How to Exist. In the Laodicean Church Age, as present-day Christians, it's no surprise to any of us that's here. We are thrust into an age that has really never been before. We're thrust in an age of spiritual lethargy, where mankind's spirituality has waned and dimmed, and sometimes the uh, brightness and the burning of the power of the Holy Spirit has simply gone out almost in people's lives. We've entered into an age of material wealth that has taken precedent over the presence and spirit of Almighty God. We've entered into an age of rise and fall of great men, of great stature and of great authority. Now they almost lie in the ashes of what they once was. We've entered in or been thrust into an age of casual or no repentance whatsoever. It's not demanding anymore, hardly, that a man really repent and get down to repentance. It's been a long time since I've actually saw repentance as it used to be. I don't say that a man should shed tears all the time, but there should be some difference in his life. And I've always said that no man can come in contact with Jesus without being changed some way. And it's going to show out. But we've been thrust into that age where it's popular to be born again. Born again is on everyone's lips. That doesn't lessen the necessity of being born again. But not everybody that claims a born again birth has it. But we're in that age where it's not unpopular anymore. You don't suffer because you talk about the Holy Ghost or because you talk about being born again. And being thrust into this age simply leaves the majority of individuals and sometimes all of us, some of us at least, and all of us at some time or other, despairing, wondering which direction we should go and what more could we say or do. It leaves us sometimes discouraged, the fact that we're not able to accomplish what we feel like we should be able to accomplish, it leaves us frustrated in areas that we seem to have done everything that is required of us, and yet the promises of God seem to remain sealed up and we don't see any results of it. It leaves us weary even in well-doing. Even when the Scriptures speak clearly to us, to be not weary in well-doing sometimes, Except we come under the grace of God, we become weary even in well-doing. Tired of witnessing to people and words that fall on deaf ears. Tired of getting promises from people that are never fulfilled. Tired of watching individuals come and feel the touch of the holy presence of God and then not see them anymore. You don't know what happened to them, you just know God touched them. Weary and tired actually of of holding the banner when it seems like the whole world doesn't care whether there's a standard or banner uh, at all. Now God had previously spoken, before he spoke here by his mouthpiece, John to Ephesus. He had a controversy with them when he said, you have left your first love. Without just laying the hammer down on them immediately, he told them what they had done, and he told them what they should do. And those words were, repent. Repent and then do your first works. had been challenged by that. been ch- challenged the church of Pergamos, of Pergamus. It allowed Balaam and Balak to preach false doctrines. And he called their attention to that. And he says, repent of that and leaves it with them. Talks to the church of Thyatira. Jezebel is seducing his servants to, forget, to commit fornication. And he calls that their attention and leaves them space to repent. He also speaks to the church of Sardis and he says, now you have a name that you live and you are dead. And he tells them what to do on that before he pronounces his judgment. It's always the same, it is repent. In other words, feel sorry for where you're at, what you're doing. Do something about it. Get back to where you was and where I want you to be. And that voice has rang out and perhaps in these churches in instances are still ringing out the churches that are in that. But I want to zero in tonight on the fact that the booming voice of John through the words that we speak rings out a challenge not to ages past but to our age today. An age that we're all too familiar with when he looks and says to this church age, and I'm not talking about a church in general, I'm talking about a church age when he looks at this church age and he says, I know you. You see, sometimes we get the idea that God doesn't know us and that God doesn't know what we're doing. But he says, I not only know you, but I know your works. And then he begins to tell these individuals that he knows their works, that they're not cold or hot. He wished they was cold or hot. And then he says, because you're neither cold nor hot or you're lukewarm, I will spew you. And, of course, that word from the Greek simply means vomit. I'll just simply vomit you out of my mouth. And it was interesting as I was talking to some of the people from the eastern culture, from India, and they tell me that these individuals that there cannot stand lukewarm water or anything that it's something about their makeup that causes them, they either want their water hot or they want their water cold because if they drink lukewarm, it gags them and almost causes them to vomit. And so you see what God is saying, sometimes in this church age, and there again, I want you to hold fast, in this church age there's things that's making God sick. There's things that He's not satisfied with. There's areas where mankind is proclaiming the righteousness of God and don't know the righteousness of God. And God is telling us today that these things are going on and that He knows they're going on. Sometimes I present a petition to God, kind of like Habakkuk or Habakkuk in the teachings. I get down next to God and wonder, why are you allowing these things to go on? Can't you see what it's doing to true believers? Can't you see the erroneous ways that it is carrying people off into delusions? Don't you understand that the church world, the true church world, is becoming weary even in well-doing? Why are these things there? And God lets me know through the Scripture right here that He knows this is going on, that He knows their works, and He also knows the only answer. And then He's saying, I'm going to counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire you're going to have to have something that is tried that you may be rich white raiment righteousness of god hallelujah not the righteousness of man but the righteousness of god that thou mightest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness not appear and anoint your eyes with i say that thou mightest be able to see and then he says something that astonishes me in the midst of all of this and all the things that is making him sick that's going on He says, I love you. I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten." In other words, the love of God shines forth here as greater, greater than any place else. He has a controversy with these people. They're making him sick. It's a sickening thing in the eyes of God. Judgment could immediately be poured out on them without remedy, without any mercy whatsoever. But God looks down and says, as many as I love. In other words, I love you enough that I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to chasten you. I don't want you to be zealous of what I'm doing. I don't want you to repent. Now then, the question is brought in. We know we're in this age. Never talked to a minister yet that didn't agree with that fact. There might have been ages past, maybe similar to this, but there's never been an age, and most ministries agree with this, There has never been an age quite like this age that we're living in. There has never been a time when uh, the mental pressure has been as great upon God's people as it is now. There's never been a time when we've been under attack by the evils of the world, and they almost shield that which is evil, and almost hang out to dry that which is righteous. There's never been a time when truth emerges that people shrink from it or are ashamed of that. And there's never been a time when repentance means so little and righteous living means so little in in the history of our country, in the history of the Bible. There's never been a time when humanity has been so callous and so careless with God and with God's Word. And so we're thrust into this age. We have to realize we are in it. And God says, I will not close the door on this age until I first chastise it until I first let them know what they have done wrong, and let them know that because they're rich and increased with good, build the greatest temple you can, and that's all right, but unless you have God walk into those doors and dwell there, it's of no value whatsoever. And God is trying to tell us that. Build what you want to, but you say you're rich, you're increased with good, you don't need anything. And I know individuals, churches that have locked their doors on Jesus Christ, they don't want the anointing. They don't want God's order. They don't want God's power. We have everything that we possibly need. And God says, you don't know that you're wretched and poor and blind and naked. And you have need of all things. A friend, when God is locked out, you do have need of all things. And God is saying that and He said, now I want to counsel you. I want to challenge you to where you're living. You've got to try buy of me gold that's tried in the fire. Something that's lasting. Search Christ. Search where He came from and search salvation and search religion. And you'll find the world's tried to burn it and it won't burn. It's tried to drown it and it won't drown. It's tried to destroy it and way or somehow it has managed to come through uh, uh, time after time of trouble, of struggle and everything else. And the name of God still appears upon the lips of true individuals. And he said, "I'm going to counsel you to buy me fire, our gold tried in the fire, that you might be rich. Now, riches—what he's trying to say—is in the presence of God. Hallelujah! Spiritually rich. And white raiment—in other words, these self-righteous rags of iniquity that man fly, tries to clothe us with—are uh, self-righteous rags of religion." What we need is the righteousness of Christ which brings salvation. And he said that you might be clothed because there's coming a time that the shame of nakedness, God is going to jerk the clothing off of individuals that they've tried to clothe themselves with and they're going to appear under shame. And he said, now anoint your eyes with eyesight. Hallelujah. Just get into this word of God. Say, God, open it up to me. I need to know what it's saying. I need to know what it's talking to me about. And open it up to me, thou, thou mightest see. And so we're in this. So how do we survive in this age? And that question came to me quite some time ago. And naturally with something like that, and you're dealing with revelations, and you're dealing with a church age that you know is relevant to ours, you tend to look for some mysterious thing. I do anyway. It's human nature, you know. Because it seems like we've got past the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And we made him a mysterious individual. And we made the book of Revelations a mysterious thing that hardly anybody can understand. But yet it was made and made to be revealed. And there's simplicity in that. And so I started looking in the mysterious realms of what do I do to survive in a Laodicean church age? And then I was guided by the Holy Spirit of God to St. John chapter 6 and just write that down and you can go uh, read that and stay in that tomorrow because it's something that you need to just dwell in. You don't just need to read the Scripture. But then the question isn't that what Jesus was trying to tell us in St. John chapter 6 in His great discourse on the bread of life. He was actually in that simple message trying to tell us how that we exist in an age such as we are thrust into. Jesus had healed their sick. They'd come through the age of healing. There's nothing wrong with that. He had cleansed their lepers. He had unstopped their deaf ears. He had gave sight to their blind. He had made their lame to walk and raised their dead, and He had fed them with fishes and with loaves. That generation there, had had everything that God had had to offer. Every place he went, he was doing good. Walked into the places of misery. Walked into the places of adversity. And he spoke those words. Into the places of sickness, raised them from their sick bed. Cleansed the lepers when nobody else would dare get around them. Unstopped the deaf ears just by word. Gave sight to the blind. Made the lame to walk. Take up your bed and walk, he said. Even raised them from the dead fed them with loaves and fishes when they were hungry. Now it was time for them to really know where life really is. Hallelujah. I want you to not get me wrong. I believe in healing. I have had I think these miracles ought to be happening in our churches today. And some way, somehow, I feel like we're doing God an injustice by not just almost demanding that these things be part of our everyday living and our everyday life. I think they can be, if some way or somehow we can turn the key to what has been taken away from us. But after all of these things, Jesus is trying to tell them where life really is. He's giving them and us a simple lesson on how to exist when these things are not prevalent. When they're not every day. He's telling us that God is still God whether a single individual is healed or not. He's telling us God is still God whether there's a deaf ear unstopped or not, whether there's a leper cleansed or not, or whether lames are made to walk, or whether the dead are raised. He's telling us in spite of all these things that are not there, He is still God. He's telling them that, and He's telling us that. And he's telling us that life does not exist in the cleansing of the lepers, that life does not exist in the healing of the sick, that life does not exist in the raising of the dead, and life does not exist in a Santa Claus that gives individuals what they want. He was telling them life exists in him. And he was telling them to look beyond the material wealth and gain, to look beyond even their healings and look beyond their miracles, and these are some staggering words that he said that they didn't want to hear. He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am life. Right here, look at me, I am life. And except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drank his blood, you have no life in you. And in spite of everything that he had done before that, in spite of everything that some of the followers had saw, it was too much for them. They had followed him after the fishes and the loaves. They had followed him after the miracles that they saw. They had followed him after all the good things that he could provide for them. And Jesus was saying there's coming a time these are not always going to be like this. And I want you to know how to live when that time comes. I want you to know how to exist in it. I want you to know how to come to it and still be strong in me and in my power. And he says, I'm the bread of life and except you eat my flesh, which is the divine word of God and drink my blood, which is uh, of the Holy Spirit and presence of God. He said, in spite of everything else that's happened, you have no life in you. In other words, life is through Jesus Christ. Now this done something. For the following, because many left him, he lost out. He was pointing to an age that they they didn't want. He was telling them something they had to do. In other words, party time's over, boys. (laughs) Good times are over, at least, for a little while. I'm going to give you some testing. I'm going to see what you think of me when there's nothing else around but me and my Word. I'm going to try you when everything else has been taken away from you. And there's just you and I, boys, left. Just Jesus and you. I'm going to see how you react. A lot of them left him. A lot of people are leaving him today. Oh, they don't claim that they're not Christians anymore. But a lot of people are sitting home because God just didn't heal the way he thought they ought to heal And God didn't provide the way He thinks He ought to provide. And hard times come and great men fail. But friend, I don't care how great man gets and how great man falls. God Almighty has never fallen. And God Almighty has never failed. And when our hopes is pinned in Him, we won't fail either. That's why He tells us always to look past humanity. And that's what He's telling them. Look, all of these things fine, well, and good. But that's not what's going to take you through such times. You won't have any life in you except you eat of me and drink of me. And a lot of them went and just didn't, just didn't follow him anymore. And Jesus, they asked the He asked his disciples who were themselves murmuring, and he says, will you also go away? And here's the part that astonished me. And that was old Peter. Wish was worship Peter, <laughs> you know, here today and gone tomorrow. But there was something about that question and something about the way Peter answered that that give me a hope and give me a revelation. And in the midst of everything that was happening, of individuals departing from the very one that they had saw, which was Jesus healed her sick and raised her dead and, and feed the 5,000 and the 4,000, and in the midst of all of that, and the great exodus away from Jesus Christ, Peter looks at him and says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I thought in the midst of those circumstances, the apostle Peter, or disciple Peter at that time, spoke by Revelation. Something that you and I need, the greatest revelation we can get, is that there's no place else we can go. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And as long as we know where they're at, friend, we can exist in this age. You know that, don't you? you felt that. You you know that it has to be God. He's the only one that's carried all of us through. He's the only strength that we actually have. You look around in this age, there's nothing to inspire humanity except God Almighty. We lose our vision of Him, then we've lost the vision. We've lost what it's all about. But revelation is what we need. A revelation of who God is. Have A revelation of His name. And a revelation of what He is to us. Not what He can do, but who He is. And Peter got that revelation, and we have to speak by revelation also. We can't speak by our ideologies. can't speak by our doctrines and our traditions because they are going to fail. But there's one thing we can speak in, and that's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the very same thing that he gave to Peter that day in the midst of all of it. Peter had no reason to believe anything. He could have very well been carried away with the tide, but there was something that entered in. Prophetic utterance. And Peter just simply said, where can we go? I realize that it doesn't look like very much, and I realize on the surface, I realize on the surface it just looks like everybody has left. But he says, hey, look, I throwed my fishing tools down, and I followed you, and I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else I can do. And he said, I'm going to stay with you. There's no place else I can go. And I feel the same thing. I've got to shout it with Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And friend, if you want them, they're in here. Just feel packed full of good things from God. Things that would strengthen us. Things that would simply set our soul stirring and burning for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not long after that, Peter again spoke by revelation. Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Got all kinds of answers. Some say you're John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, and some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus brings it down personal, just like he does with us. said, I'm not interested in now who these people say that I am. I'm interested in who you think I am. I'm interested in what you think about me. But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And friend, that did it for Peter. Sometimes when we speak in the midst of adverse conditions, in the midst of a world filled with lethargy, and in the midst of the Laodicean church age, where individuals seem to care less and living such a careless life, friend, when we speak by revelation, as Peter did, this buys something for us. This does something to the heart of God. This does something in Him, and this uh, makes a solidity between us and God. So even when we falter or we fall, we have already made a declaration that means something to God. And Peter, in the midst of confusing, discouraging and desolate times, later brought these words from his master's lips. After so many things that had happened, Luke 22 and 31, and write that down, he says, Simon, Simon, that's after Peter made great declarations, God, I'll never do this and I'll never do that. Peter was speaking of his own. But he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you a sweet. But listen to what speaking by revelation, what holding to what God puts in your hands and in your mouth. Listen to what it does. And Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for you. Friend, there is no greater prayer that can ever be uttered than that which was uttered by Jesus Christ himself, and he's prayed for every one of us." And he said, I pray that your faith fail not and when thou art converted. Oh, yes, that's going to be in the future, Peter, but it's going to happen. I want you to strengthen your brother. In other words, what he's telling us is I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to see that you get through this thing. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to rise you from your desolation. I'm going to be with you in your weariness. And when you've gone through all of this, then you've got a job. There's a world out here that needs strength. There's a world out here that needs to be touched. There's a world out here that's lonely, despairing, and hurting. And you're going to have the ability to convert them and bring them into the divine presence of God. And that's what happens when we speak in the midst of a Laodicean church age. And simply speak by revelations and say, I really don't know. My faith is not the strongest in the world. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going, but I don't know any place else to go but to Jesus. And I would to God that ever born-again individual and those that are not born again would be able to say these words. God, I can't pay any attention to what everybody else says where everybody else goes. I can't pay any attention to their bitterness and to their excuses. All I know is this one thing. I came to Him. He solved my problems. He cleansed me and washed me, filled me with His power. And I can't find anything in this world that equals that. So I just go to Him. I just stay with Him. I don't find any place else I can go. And friend, I don't know about you, but I've been in those positions a lot of times where sometimes it would almost be easy to just close the thing and say, God, nothing ever happens anymore. I can't see what I want to see, and everybody around me is not concerned with what's going on, and there's just a few of us. I think maybe I could just leave it at home, close that Bible up, and forget it. But there's something way down deep inside (laughs) that says anything I have ever known, I've never known anybody like Jesus. A presence and power that I've known in this world. I've never known anything like Jesus. The joy that I have, I've never known anything like the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power, the exhilaration, and the promises of never known anything like my Jesus. Hallelujah. So to whom shall I go? Thou hast still the words of eternal life. Let Him speak to you. Let Him talk to you. Let Him talk to you. And then I like the 20th verse. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I realize that we have elevated that to him knocking on the heart's door, and I'm not going to take that away from us. I think he really talks, talks to hearts. But, but we have did the Bible a disservice by doing this because he's talking to churches. He's not talking to individuals. And he's saying here, I stand at the door of churches and I knock. That simply means he's outside. Because if he was inside, he wouldn't want to gain interest. But he's out there. And he's waiting for somebody to open the door for him. He's a gentleman. He won't enter in and cross over where he's not going. But he says, I love you so much. And I know, and see, these have been his people. Amen. I'm not talking about uh, strangers and sinners out here. I'm talking about individuals that have been his people and have some way grown lukewarm, and they have become rich and high, proud, and pride ha- has come into their being. And he said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And that just floored me. There's something about that that just floored me, that imagine a God of the universe who has need of nothing or no one would love his people in spite of what they have done, in spite of the fact that their works make him sick, and he's still standing there at that door where he's been thrust out and been told he's not wanted and he still stands there and knocks he said i'd like to come in. i like to be in there i don't like it outside is what he's saying and then he's saying if any man hear my voice and open culture many of them in those days especially when this was written there was a lot of thieves and a lot of bandits they would secure their houses they wouldn't trust anybody. And when somebody came and knocked, it wouldn't make any difference how often they said their name. Because people was not known by their name. Anybody could say their name. But they learned to recognize voices. They didn't go by name. Somebody could come up and knock on the door and say, they'd say, who is it? And the common, uh, uh, the common answer would be, it is I. And they'd repeat this until they were sure they recognized the voice. They'd come up and say, uh, it's me, it's Roy, or it's Bonnie, or it's Grace, or not That wouldn't do it. They would have to recognize whose voice it is. And uh, that's also in the Bible. You can find that in Acts 12th chapter, right after Peter's miraculous delivery from prison and they was gathered together praying fine remember that and uh, there was a knock on the door and uh, that little damsel called uh, Rhoda I believe it was went to the door and and said who is it more or less and it goes on to say and when she knew Peter's voice not because Peter said it's Peter but she knew Peter's voice she knew it was Peter so she opens the door and then slams it in his face. And that gave me. And there's a whole lot of us who do the same thing. <laughs> you know, we ask for a miracle and God gives it to us and we don't believe it. But she knew his voice. And I like that because in St. John, the 10th chapter, it talks about sheep. It says, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know. His voice. Oh, well, you need to learn the voice of Jesus. Friend, there's no voice in this world like the voice of Jesus. Now, he lets us know, and that's good, I like the name of Jesus. But he lets us know that there's going to be some coming that will come in his name and say that they are the... And just because somebody comes and says, I'm Jesus. So he says, in essence, what he's trying to tell here is know his voice. Get close enough to him that you'll know the difference. When something comes and speaks and says they are of him or him, know the voice of Jesus. I'll say it again, there's no voice like the voice of Jesus. It can be distinguished. There's something about it. They may say the same thing, but there's a voice of tenderness and of compassion that cannot be duplicated like the voice of Jesus. And he's telling us, Look, recognize my voice. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I want you to open the door. If you'll do that, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll sup with you and I'll let you sup with me we'll just have communion together just like we did before. Hallelujah. What a call to a Laodicean church age. I'm willing to forget all of these things that you've said and done. I'm willing to forget your works that have made me sick. I'm willing to forget all that. All I ask you to do is let me in. Friend, listen. If we we'll let him in the church houses, he'll change things. Thank God. He'll move things but until he's in there things will remain the same man has got so wise that he's taken control he knows more than God how to run things better than God and Jesus is still saying I need to be in there I have to be because he says Line like that. that. That's a voice of tenderness. In spite of what you've done, where you've been, I'll suffer I'll come in and sit down at the table of communion. And we can feast together. He that hath an ear. But before that he said, To he that overcomes, to you that exist through this age of barrenness. Where you don't hear any spiritual babies cry. You You that exist during this age of individuals that are destitute and you watch your best friends sometimes falter and fall and waver. Times when churches used to be full but disintegrated to nothing when you come into those times, remember me, Jesus says. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that should come to me. And to you that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath me, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And friend, there's never been a day like our day, but there's never been a God like our God. That's able to see us through. Will you stand with me right now?